शिला गुरुदेव की जय श्रीमन महाप्रभु की जय श्री हरिनाम संकीर्तन की जय श्री श्री दाऊ जी गोपाल जी की जय श्री ग्रंथराज श्रीमद्भागवत की जय श्री वेणुगीत की जय घोर भक्त वृंद की जय घोर Welcome to all of you. Pranam. Um, thank you so much for your presence and association. <clears throat> so we will continue with our series of lectures on Sri Benu Gita or the Song of the Flute. Today, I today we are meeting number four, and we are studying. We will be studying. Let's see. That's idea. Verses three and four. Let's see if I can make the two of them. <laughs> Uh, there are two verses interconnected with one another, so that's why in this in this occasion we are be we have been bold enough to try to see two in one class. <clears throat> but as usual, first of all, let's make some brief recap of what we saw. What we saw yesterday, verse number two of Sri Venu Gita, which is very similar to verse number one as we mentioned, but with some added features, like some gradual unfolding of the very same scene. The, ver the first two verses of the chapter depict the, the situation in the forest, with Krishna entering the forest with his friends, with the cows, with the gopas, and with all the different ingredients of the forest, giving him the welcome after such a long night of separation. Uh, so the two of them are relatively similar, but the first one depicts a particular scene, mantra by Upashana, and the second one extends, enhances, if you will, the, the description of that same scene, of Krishna entering the autumn uh, forest with the lotus ponds and the fragrance and the trees and the birds and the cows and so on. So we mentioned yesterday, in some detail, it's never enough, but how Brinda Devi, uh, this nymph, divine magic nymph of Braj, Orchestrated, orchestrates on a daily basis uh, every single detail and element of the of any particular scene of the whole lila to function in its best possible way. Mm, the bumblebees to buzz in a particular tone, mm, to give the drone, the tambura, in a particular tone, <laughs> and and the bees and the and the birds to chirp and sing in a particular way, and the peacocks to dance in this way, and certain trees to flower a particular to blossom in a particular way certain specific flowers and to invoke certain particular seasons favorable to the occasion and so on. So we spend some detail speaking about the importance of all these elements, no? like for example the trees of Rindavan, or the trees in itself, we can speak of the importance of the trees, we have to speak of the trees of Rindavan, Braja, Briksha, Mahima, the glories of the Brajavasi trees, we, we spent some time yesterday about that, but it's never enough again. And in this way we also spoke how the bumblebees and the peacocks and the birds and everything represents some former order of Udipana, or constant kindlers to, to the specific bhavas that every member of Vrindavan is having in connection to Krishna. And especially we concentrated on the bumblebees since the name that Krishna received in this second verse is Madhupati, which means, as we mentioned, Lord of Liquor, <laughs> or 
master of honey or the protector of the Madhus or the Madhavas or the Yadus or the Yadavas, all of this converging in his protection to the Vrajavasis and of course the way Krishna protects the Vrajavasis ultimately is in terms of, of, of Prem, basically. That's the ultimate shelter, if you will. The shelter of Krishna himself, basically. <laughs> he himself feels sheltered hmm? when he falls at the feet of, of Sri Radha, the very personification of Prem and so on. Hmm? So, basically, we describe how this Madhupati, hmm, accompanied by such a, a, a retinue and entering in such a stage, took Uja Venum. He vibrated his venom, his flute. So we mentioned this word tukuja, according to the tense which it, in, in which it appears in Sanskrit, indicates uh, a similar sound to the sound of the cuckoo also. Now, which of course in a very esoteric way, the, the song of the cuckoo, the cry of the cuckoo is, is compared to the cries of the, that happens in, in the loving battle, if you will, also. But on, on some other level, it means that the flute in itself could be conceived as having a life of its own and presenting a song of its own. So, Benugitam, we ended the, the, the talk sharing this, some of these ideas. That was yesterday, I, I no longer remember. Different levels of possibilities of the meaning of Benugita. No? So, one of them being, yeah, the, the, song, the, the song of the flute, the flute is singing in itself, it has a life of its own, Krishna is just taking it in, ha in his hands, in his mouth, and the flute just sings by itself, or Krishna is singing through the flute as an instrument, or uh, singing, Krishna is singing to the different species of the forest as he's entering the Brajavan, since all the, the species of the forest, as we mentioned, were in separation from him after such a long night, so they are welcoming him, blossoming flower, and Krishna is singing and reciprocating to each one of them. <laughs> or also we mentioned he's playing the flute to to, to calm down the Batsalya camp, headed by Yashoda, who is totally like in anxiety that Krishna is going to the forest and what will be maybe happening and is he okay? So Krishna keeps playing the flute by destruction of Jashoda. You keep playing the flute so I can hear you at the distance and know that you are okay and I know where you are according to the distance and the tone and the dis I, I can locate you in the, in the midst of the forest and we mentioned how the whole forest or helps for that to happen like silences themselves to the sound of the flute gets to Jashoda's ears and she can survive one more day basically in separation. Also of course we mentioned that Benugitan can be interpreted on some level as Krishna reciprocating with his friends who are accompanying him of the forest, or Krishna reciprocating with the cows who, who are having this bell, at least the leader of each group, and they are moving here and there, and Krishna can know where they are by the bell. So Krishna is saying, okay, my bell is my flute, so whenever I play my flute, you know where I am, in case you get lost in exploring new grasses, here I am. No? And he's calling them, by their name through the sound of the flute and so on. But ultimately, and as the Sukadev presents in the Bhagavatam, this Venugita is directed for the gopis. We are in the Madhurya Rasa section of the 10th canto of the Bhagavatam, so that's pretty much focused on Madhurya Rasa, and this is building up to um, to the Rasa Panchadhyay. We are still um, like eight <laughs> chapters to go for the first chapter of Rasa Panchadhyay here, but 
it's gradually building in that direction. So Benu Gita could be understood that Krishna is singing for the gopis. But on top of that, we could understand Benu Gita is the gopis singing in reply to Krishna singing to them. So Krishna maybe thought of praying the flute in the forest, sending messages to the gopis, nourishing their poor, their poor varag for each other, and anticipating the meeting. But eventually, as we will see, the main, the ultimate Benu Gita of this chapter is from verse 7 onwards, when the gopis start to sing, in reply to Krishna's Benu Gita. Do you follow the idea? Okay, so that's our um, recap from yesterday. And we mentioned also how Krishna is, although Krishna's friends play flute with him generally, in this precise moment, due to some words that appear in these verses of today also, it is mentioned how Krishna was the only one playing the flute here. Like implying he was playing the flute for the gopis in this particular occasion. It has some purpose, some aim, and there will be a particular reciprocation. So today we will be studying verses number 3 and 4, which again has some conceptual flow connected, interconnected. And uh, <clears throat> now we will turn from the forest and Krishna and his friends and the cows and Balaram and all the species there to the village where the gopis are experiencing the byproducts of that Benugitan coming to them, before their Benugitan. And we will see how it is described, how they hear that sound and they attempt to describe their experience of that sound out of ecstasy. They are drawn to express that, but out of, if you will, a greater ecstasy, they cannot say anything. <laughs> like Jiva Goswami mentions in Gopal Shampoo, there's a certain level of spiritual experience which ends up in silence, but that silence is speaking more than a thousand words, basically. So let's go to those verses in case you want to follow. You have them, I think, the file has been shared. It says like this. Tad Brajastriya Benugitam Smarodayam Kastit Paroksham Krishnasya Swasakibhyo Navarnayam Tad Barnayaitumaradha Smarantya Krishna Chestitam Nashakam Smaravigena Bhikshipta Manasunripa So I'll read the translation and then we will try to explain a little bit about this. So, the first verse, verse number 3 says, When the young ladies in the cowherd village of Raj heard the song of Krishna's flute, we are back in the village now, which arouses the influence of Cupid, some of them privately began describing Krishna's qualities to their intimate friends. The cowherd girls began to speak about Krishna, but when they remembered his activities, O King, the power of Cupid disturbed their minds, and thus they could not speak. So they somehow said something, start speaking, <laughs> but it, la it didn't last for long. No, immediately there's, the speech became like captured by a higher way of, of communication in the form of non-speak. 
language beyond, beyond language. So, <clears throat> that's this verse, let's go a little bit word by word, because, and, and it's an important point also that we are trying to, to unpack in this series. You know, sometimes if one may ask, why you go word by word? Why just, why is not enough just general meaning? No? Why our Acharyas generally go word by word? And not only translating the words, but trying to unpack every word. You know, it may sound a little bit like, extreme you know, like every word you are trying to make it make too much out of every word but actually that's that's the nature of the Bhagavatam. every single word has unlimited content and limited potential Mahaprabhu says that in Chaitanya Charitamrita Krishna Tulya Bhagavata Vibhu Sarvasra Sarvasraya yeah. Prati Shloki Prati Akshari Nana Artakaya uh, which means Srimad Bhagavatam here we are with the Bhagavatam taking darshan. So, it's as, as great as Krishna himself, basically. Hmm? Tul, Krishna Tulya Bhagavata. Tulya means like e equal. So, between Bhagavata and Bhagavan, there is no difference. Hmm? Srimad Bhagavatam is not different from Sri Hari. And therefore, hmm, Bhagavan is the shelter of everything. Bhagavan is unlimited. So, similarly, every single verse, it, it says Prati Shloke, Prati Akshare. So, every verse and every syllable of the Bhagavatam, Nana Artakaya, it has unlimited levels of meanings and layers of, of, of purpose. So, that's important that we, we take the time of being getting lost and found in, in these divine texts. That's the potential of the Bhagavatam. Every single verse, not only the verse, every syllable in the Bhagavatam has unlimited layers of content. So, it's up to us to open ourselves to that revelation and being led by our Acharyas to discover, explore hmm, this fathomless ocean. So, hmm, so word by word, let's go for a minute. Hmm. So, Tat Brajas Tirashrutya Benugitam Smarodayam. So, Tat means that. Interestingly, the two verses start with the same word, Tat. We will explain why. So, that, that refers to that song. That Benugita, and then we will ex explain what's the meaning of that Benugita. <laughs> so Brajastriya refers to to the Gopis of Vrindavan. Of course, when translating the verse into English, we, we cannot follow exactly the same order of words that they appear in Sanskrit. Sanskrit allows for certain flexibility where some words can be in different order to match also like rhyme and so on. But you get the idea of the verse. So after that, for us will come Benugitam in our English psychology. So, that Benugitam, that Benugitam, <laughs> Brayastriya, Ashrutya. Ashrutya means they heard, hearing. So the Brayastriya, or the ladies of Braj, they heard that Benugitam. Smarodayam. So what's the nature of Benugitam? Smara, Udayam. Smara means Cupid, and Udaya means what? Chasida Krishna Prem. Sadhya Kaunai, Shravanai, Sudachit, Kalai, Udai. Arunodai Kirtan. Udai means like giving rise to. No? So this song, the effect that it had on the Gopi was it gave rise to waves of cupidity. No? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No? So they became cupified, basically. <laughs> so that's the first 
part of the first verse. Then it says, Kachit Paroksham Krishna Syasa Sakhibyo Navarnayam. So, Kachit, some of them, some of those gopis, so now we'll see, it's getting more and more specific. No? The gopis, now some of those gopis, Paroksham. Paroksham means indirect speech or secretly, confidentially. Krishnasya means about Krishna. Then Anvavarnayam, the last word, then we go to the penultimate word. Anavarnayam means describe. So in, in some of those gopis got together in groups and privately described, which was privately with whom? Swasakibyo, with their intimate sakis, with their intimate companions. They started to reveal their minds in confidence about what were their feeling regarding that awakening of Cupid in connection to the flute. That's the first verse, I mean the third verse, the first here. And the second one starts again, Tat, Trat Barnaitum Arat Baham. So Arat Baham means in the beginning. So in the beginning of that attempt of saying something, Barnaitum means to describe. So in the beginning of that attempt of description, Smarantya Krishna Chestitam. Smarantya means Smaranam by remembering. Krishna Chestitam means activities of Krishna. They start to speak about Krishna and they start to remember the activities of Krishna. For the gopis, this is like uh, it's impossible to separate one thing of the other. It's not that they are saying something about Krishna and, and they are not connecting qualities of Krishna with Leela of Krishna, names of Krishna with love of Krishna and all Nam, Guna, Rupa, Lila for the gopis is like they are thrown into one wave after another. And that's showing us how it should happen to us as well. We are singing the names of Krishna and that invokes the form and that invokes the qualities and that invokes the Lila. And then Kirtan is over because it will happen the same of the gopis. Silence. Choked up. Krishna chased it down. So they start to remember Krishna's activities and nashakam shmara vigena bhikshipta manasun ripa. So the gopis say, then na ashakam means they were incapable, shmara, again shmara, which means cupid, shmara vigena, by the force of cupid, in other words, by the intensity of their uh, romantic attraction toward Krishna, they were incapable. Bhikshipta they were incapable of continuing doing what they were trying to start doing. Say something about Krishna. <laughs> that's the harikata of the gopis. It lasts for two seconds and that's over. <laughs> no? <laughs> like Guru Mahasam sometimes says. No? He says, well, we hear that some devotees chant so many rounds, but we never hear that, for example, Rupa Goswami chanted three lakhs or, or something. Not because he was lazy, but because he started chanting, and after half a syllable, he passed out. <laughs> so those, those were the... the you, if you meet Rupa Goswami, please do not ask him, how many rounds have you chanted today? Mm -hmm. and he will. He has already passed. Help him to come back, basically. <laughs> <laughs> so similar to gopis, no? Gopis are giving harikata. How much did it last? Two, three seconds. They choke, choke up, no more harikata. But that silence is the essence of harikata. That, that's the point. Hmm? So, bhikshipta manason ripa. Bhikshipta means agitated, manason means mind. So, their minds were agitated by love, not by lust. And ripa, ripa will explain what's the meaning. Ripa means, O king, 
this, so Sukadev is speaking to to Parikshit. Remember the context of the the meta narrative in the narrative. So let's try to unpack something in this connection about this very uh, poetic narration of the Bhagavatam, as, as you very very well may already know that the Bhagavatam, as Phila Jiva Goswami mentions, he speaks about to us in three main languages. He speaks to us as a king, as a friend, and as a lover. In other words, he speaks in Upanishadic language, he speaks in Puranic language, and he speaks in the language of Kavya or poetry. So now we are fully into the Kavya section of the Bhagavatam, if you will. Although we may say there is some story here, still a Purana, there is some order or instruction in the sense that the gopis hear the flute and for them it's just like, <laughs> their heart is given destruction, run after that. But that's not the type of Upanishadic dictum we are referring. But it has to do mostly with poetry. So poetry is like a language beyond language. When ordinary language have reached its, its fulfilled its ultimate purpose, there we are ready for poetry, which is, an, as I will, Guru will say, participatory language, which clearly further depicts the, the ultimate nature of reality, which is participatory. It's inviting us to a type of dialogue, a type of conversation, a type of interaction. And of course, here we are in the apex of that conversation, which is loving interaction between our source and the souls, all of this ultimately depicted in Sri Krishna and the Brajavas and the Brajagopis here. Hmm? So it's I'm making this point because, and of course, this is the zenith of the Bhagavatam. Before this, Sukadev Goswami has spoken like maybe more than 10, almost, yeah, more than five, six, seven thousand verses trying to give context and, and, and create the momentum to reach such a poetry and given lots of other levels of instructions as Krishna himself does in, in the Gita before he's saying Sarvadharma Paritya he says like almost 90 95% of the Bhagavad Gita is all that comes before Sarvadharma Paritya so similarly when we find here the example of the gopis it's important to understand that so many other things need to be in place for us to really appreciate what's going on here but somehow we are trying to say something, but please remember there is big context to give support to this Benu Gita. So do not forget that and just try to skip that and enter the song of the flute because that won't happen. The flute won't sound. <laughs> so, again, so the first two verses, the focus was in the forest, Krishna there, Krishna presenting his Benu Gita in the forest, and now we are back into the village, remember we are in the Purban Lila, mid-morning pastimes where Krishna is in the forest with his friends and animals and everyone in the forest while mostly the Batsalya and Madhurya department is burning in separation in the village. So Krishna is sending Benu Gita from the forest and here we will see the, the beginnings of the Benu Gita in the village, the gopi singing in reply. So we have a change of stage. So try to travel in your mind to all those different spots as much as you can. It's important to to, to discipline our imagination. That's not mental speculation. That's something different. Discipline the imagination is something necessary 
for entering eventually into the lila and, and for developing a feeling for what we are hearing because the lila narrative is not just something to 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 witness in a passive way like okay yes Krishna's doing that with the goal oh, nice story of course in the beginning one may have those filters but as we progress in our hearing a little narrative is not to be heard from the vantage point of a witness from from the vantage point of the participant like 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 the very theory of drama in Indian aesthetics if you are a real Saharidai or something someone with with the heart for appreciating certain particular type of of arts no? like music you are hearing Indian classical music and and, and, and if, if, if the musician is it knows how to unfold all that the raga implies, all the rasa implied in a particular musical presentation, and the audience is capable of appreciating that. At one point, the audience is not audience anymore. I mean, the audience won't feel like I'm witnessing a concert of classical music of India. The audience will be thrown into a pool of a certain experience that will be the same experience that the musician is experiencing while presenting that. The same in, in one way. No? So it's no longer this like I'm witnessing this performance, but participatory again, <laughs> poetry, music, all the arts, all this doctrine of rasa, bhakti rasa is participatory. So our hearing should evolve in that direction, and we are here in sadhana bhakti, exercising, practicing this type of exposing ourselves to sacred narratives and try to connect with that emotionally, as, Guru, as our Guru Maharaj will say. Krishna Lila in particular, Braja Lila in particular, lends itself for that type of emotional bonds, that we can really feel ourselves one of them. Of course, in a proper way, not like by cheap imitation, but again, by disciplined imagination, <laughs> there, is, there is a place for that. So, <clears throat> again, this verse starts to speak to us about another Benugita. From the Venugita that Krishna is playing in the forest to the Venugita that is generated in the in the village, the Brahmastriya, the song sung by the Brahmastriya. So the first word, let's go to the first word of each of the two verses, Tat, which means in this case that Srila Sanatan Goswami, he's given the meaning to that in his Brihad Bhaisnav Toshani. So he's saying Tat refers to that Venugita. Which is because again, Benugita, there are many Benugita. Every time Krishna plays the flute, that's Benugita in one general sense. But now we are pointing a particular type of Benugita. Bhakti Thakur calls that Adbhut Benugita. <laughs> Adbhut means like, like wondrous, you say in English? Wondrous, like astonishing. Benugita. So, as we mentioned in last class, there are many levels of reasons why Krishna is playing the flute, in which direction, with which purpose. But the ultimate converging meaning of why he's playing the flute, and for whom, Sri Radha and so on, that's applicable only to the to that section in particular. Because Krishna is playing the flute, and as we mentioned, every every member in Vrindavan will think, that's for me, oh, that's for me, and everyone is right in one sense. But as we all see, here Sukadev is presenting this narrative in the Madhurya Rasa section. So, again, everyone is thinking, that's for me, that's for me. But as we will see, 
only in the gopis will happen what is this verse is depicted this verse what are they saying the waves of cupid are being aroused and this is not happening to yashoda this is not happening to the cows this is not happening to those in dasya sakya vatsalya this is happening to a particular department so there is specificity in in, in this Benugita, and that's why Tat is there, indicating that Benugita, which points to a particular circle, and which, in the case of Krishna's, and which come from a particular circle, in the case of the gopis, reciprocating with that. And so, as we know, for further emphasis, the two verses start with the same word. Huh? Many times this resource is used in, in Sanskrit poetry. No? Same word. And also the word Krishna appears in the two verses as well. There will be three words that appear in the two verses. Tat, Krishna, and Smara. So Krishna means Krishna, which means the supreme attractive. And as we know, he is supremely attractive because he is supremely attracted to his devotees and ultimately to Sri Radha. And Smara means, again, Cupid. So each, each word qualifies the other one. Cupid, has to do with the influence of Madhurya Rasa, which makes Krishna, Krishna. <laughs> and that Krishna is that one who sings that Benugita. So that Krishna and Smaran, all of them further qualify each other. That song, which is sung by that Krishna, which is influenced by that Cupid. That Cupid, not any Cupid, no? but the, <laughs> the higher Cupid, if you will. So Smara is a very interesting word because of course Smara also is connected to the idea of Smaranam which means remembrance. So Smara generally translated as Cupid or refers to ultimately a deep deep attachment that invokes what happens when you are deeply attached to something. Smaranam. Smara takes to Smaranam. If you are deeply attached to something you are thinking about that all day long. You, you see the object of your attachment everywhere, basically. Your, dry, your constant remembrance is coming out of deep, deep attachment. So, the gopis' passion hmm, for Krishna coming from Shmara, coming from Cupid, and we will speak about this Cupid. It's not ordinary Cupid. It's not the one depicted in this world just creating influences in the context of the gunas. Hmm. So one name of Cupid is Smara, again. So he is the one creating Aprakrita Smara, Aprakrita Cupid, if you will. Mm-hmm. The supramundane mm-hmm. sensuality. That word is in English, sensuality? Okay. And interestingly, the Smara, when it refers to Cupid, of course, it's only used for Madhurya Rasa. Again, you, you won't say Smara in, re- in connection to Yashoda's attraction to Krishna or to his friends, that Smara refers to romantics only exclusively limited to the department of romantic love. Hmm? So again, I, the brief words of clarification, every time we speak about the gopis having been affected by Cupid, hmm? or many times in the Shastri, this, their love will be described as calm, with many times it's translated as last. So you may say, oh my God, we are in problem here. Gurmas will say when the British came to India and they were thinking all oh, these Hindus are crazy they think they are God, Advaita Vedanta 
or, or, or they are worshipping different gods, polytheism, I mean, I don't know which of the options is more weird than the other. But finally they found the Vaishnavas and they found, oh, this quite relates to Christianity, devotional path of love for one God, monotheistic, many parallels with Jesus' teachings. Today is Christmas, so quite appropriate to give that example. But... Christmas was over very soon for the <laughs> they're in India because they got the they got to the Bhagavatam and to Krishna and the gopis and calm this apparent uh, I mean display of extreme playboyhood basically like the same Krishna that was speaking in the Gita and that seemed a very sober teacher giving universal wisdom suddenly. Then is depicted as a womanizer dancing with thousands of millions and marrying 16,108 ladies and having extramarital affairs with many more than that. And for the British, it was like Victorian sensibilities won them over at that point, it was too much. <laughs> but again, what's the meaning of this calm? Calm means desire, actually. And, and, and Chaitanya Charitamrita says this Sahaja Gopira Prim. Nahi prakrit kam, kama krida samyatara kare kamanam, kahi kamanam. So, sa jagopira prem nahi prakrit kam. The love of the gopis for Krishna is sahaja, it's inborn, it's inherent, it's intrinsic. They are naturally attracted to Krishna. They do not need something to happen to be attracted. They, can, they cannot but be attracted. Many examples are there where they try not to be that attracted. And the only result is their attraction is increasing more and more. more like, like we know, they say, let's stop thinking about Krishna for a nanosecond. He's giving us considerable headaches here and there. So let's stop for a minute, for a nanosecond, not even a minute. Okay, so all of them sit like, like when we sit in Japa trying to think about Krishna, and we fail, they sink, they sit and try to forget Krishna for a nanosecond. Imagine if I tell you, let's try to remember Krishna for a nanosecond. Hopefully you can, but we may fail, who knows. <laughs> but the gopis try to do the opposite. Let's try to forget him for a nanosecond, and they fail. So that, that's, that's the ultimate goal of, to attain. They are trying to forget Krishna, and they, after a nanosecond they start to look at each other. So, were you able to forget him? Were you able Sahaja Gopira Prim, their love is Sahaja, it's inborn, they cannot but, they, they don't have a second option, basically. There's not a second alternative to not to loving Krishna, that's the point, in that sense. That's free will, free will is, means you have two options, basically. But when you have chosen in the right direction, there are no longer two options, there's only one option. And inside that option, of course, so many ways you can express your will. Now there is free will. You are free to express your will inside that option which is perfect and eternal and unlimited. So the gopis are, many of them are, need to see this, which means eternally, without the beginning, they have chosen in the right direction and will continue doing so. But the way they express their love and surrender to Krishna in the context of romantic love is such that it resembles mundane sensuality. But it's only a resemblance, and that's why it receives the name of Kam. The love of the gopis called Kama Rupa Bhakti, one of the two divisions of Ragatmika Bhakti, of, of the type of Prem that we find in the inhabitants of Raj, who are made of Prem, 
you have Sambandha Rupa or Sambandhatmika and Kama Rupa or Kamaatmika. So the difference is made, as Guru Maharaj will say, because the other relationships are relatively legal. Madhumangal loves Krishna, his friends, it's okay, they are friends. Yashoda loves Krishna, his child, it's okay, she's his, his, his mother, he, she should. But the gopis love Krishna while they have husbands. So they shouldn't do, be doing that, but they are doing that nonetheless. <laughs> so this divine illusion of parakya, or extramarital love, creates all these like, extra ingredients in, 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 in the of risk or giving everything without a thought and, and actually it's just showcasing the nature of their surrender so so the gopis are influenced by cupid again it doesn't mean that their their minds are agitated out of mundane desire out of selfishness there's not uh, there's not a whiff whiff you say in english of selfishness in them they are totally free from separate desire. You have to understand this deeply. What does it mean to have to not have any separate desire? That's not so easy. To be totally surrendered to Bhagavan. To not have a separate and independent sense of existence from our source. That's not so easy. We have to go through that in our relationship with Sri Guru and the Sadhus. We have to learn how to surrender. That's a hard pill to swallow. Generally, most of us are willing to die, but not to to give our ego, basically, to give up our ego. That's what Arjuna says in the Gita to Krishna. I prefer to be killed in this battlefield from tip to toe with thousand arrows than to go through the death that you are suggesting to me, which is the ego death. Not thank you. I will receive all the arrows. I will go through all the physical pain, but... Ego death? Oh, that's hard pill to swallow. So, you see people in this world, for example, is willing to to give their lives in, I don't know, a soldier in battle, to give their lives for their ideal, but their ideal is what? Keep Keeping their ego alive. Because they are battling in the field because the country. A sense of identity that is egoic, this needs to be diluted, but they are not willing to dilute that sense. Instead, they are willing to give their lives to die, but not to die to the... <laughs> you follow my point? So people is willing even to give their lives in order not to go through the ego death. So, and all this is just like the basic foundation to understand what the gopis are about. Their lives, their love is way above that, but just to understand all these ingredients are present in their equation. <laughs> they are not just uncivilized girls that are like agitated in the mundane way by a boy there in the forest, but they are <laughs> the wisest of the sages and the more selfless personalities. <laughs> so we have always to bear this in mind. Sukadev Goswami over and over again brings that into the picture for us not to misconstrue what's going on here. <laughs> And again, as I mentioned before, Sukadev Goswami, before reaching here, he's depicting Canto 1 to 9 of the Bhagavatam, preparing the ground, preparing our minds. So, so we, we really appreciate, when Krishna is playing the flute, we do not misunderstand that, that flute call, and the response to that flute call from each one of the Brajavasis is totally supramundane. 
So remember, we, we are in this, let's share some thoughts about the Purvarag. We already spoke about that. But in this Purvarag, remember how on, on a daily basis the gopis still have not joined Krishna. But on a daily basis they are hearing this song at the distance. And Krishna is sending messages every single day through the Benunat or the sound of the flute to them. And the Bhagavatam is saying, Gopinam Paramananda Masit Govinda Darshane. Every time that the gopis are able to see Krishna, oh, they feel such a great joy. They have the darshan of Govinda. But when they, he goes to the forest, they are thrown into it again. An ocean of distress still, they are able to see him again. As we always say, what does it mean to see Krishna? And what does it mean to stop seeing Krishna after having seen Krishna? We don't have an idea of that. First, we have to see Krishna in every single sense. You have full darshan, and then stopping having that darshan, be ready for for madness, basically. <laughs> so you can have that darshan again. So in this state of purbarag, in this state of separation, anticipating the first official meaning meeting, sorry, there are different sanchari bhavs or different like ecstatic. React temporary expressions that invade, invade, uh, come to the gopis you know, like ardent desire, lalasa, like intense longing for meeting Krishna, or utbeg, which means anxiety regarding when will that happen, basically, or jagarana. Jagarana means how is it in English? Sleep, sleeplessness, not being able to sleep. <laughs> Sleepless, sleep, Less. sleeplessness, sleeplessness. Thanks so much. So all the things are coming to the gopis. Over again, this is an ecstatic thing. Do not think, oh, I don't want to go there. I want to have a nice nap. And these gopis are not basically sleeping and so on. <laughs> and in the night, rasalila, so no sleep at all. <laughs> but they are. That's not the place to sleep. That's the place to be awakened. There are too many things to be awakened to. <laughs> so, again, as we see, to, to pacify the turmoil in their hearts, we will see the gopis by hearing this flute and all the things, you know, it, all this flute sound is like further stirring the dal, as if you will see, you know, like churning the hearts more and more. So trying to pacify all that is going on in their hearts, they are trying to get together and... Hmm? Guhyamakyati Prichati, as Srila Rupa Goswami will say, reveal their minds in confidentiality you know, with, with, with people that will understand their inner world in a secluded place. As we, this verse is described, Sri Radha and other gopis start to describe among themselves the powerful effects of the flute. Sadhu Sangha, Harikata, Shravan Kirtan, the same thing we are doing, they are doing, on some level at least. But as we say the other day, we we do not project to do in the spiritual world something different from what we are doing here. That, that's the supremacy of bhakti. Bhakti is so generous, Golokar, Prema, Danhari, Nams, and Kirtan, that the whole world of Golok coming here and allowing us to engage in those same things that constitute the medium, the means, and constitute the goal. So here we have Shravan, Kirtan, Sadhu Sangha, there we have Shravan Kirtan, Sadhu Sangha. The concept of Prem, of course. That is, Bhakti is so generous that now we are receiving the opportunity to do those things that we will be doing for eternity. 
So I hope you are developing a taste for that because those are the things that you will be doing for eternity. <laughs> but again, when you are doing them with Prem, so much is in there. When we hear Bhaktinath Thakur's eternal services to do comfort lamps for eternity, we have to understand what does it mean. Of course, he's not only doing that <laughs> at his main seva, but also so much content is in one single comfort lamp in Golok. Maybe if someone tells us to do comfort lamp for two hours, we start to become good big anxiety. There's not in Sanchari Bhav in this case. <laughs> So, so, so it's important to, to understand the things. Hmm? And okay, of course, again, as we mentioned, this Benunat or this sound of the flute did not did not confine its sweetness, if you will, to, to, to certain regions of the forest, but started to dance through the breeze of Vrindavan and start to enter and penetrate every single place in the branch, in the village, every house, every year, and every heart. But here it is described specifically in the gopis, it impacted in a particular way, giving rise to uh, Shmara or, or Cupid. Mm-hmm. So this is a moment in... Remember, we are here, Bhagavatam is des- describing the Bhoma Lila, or the Braja Lila that happens on Earth, which hap- which has a chronological unfolding. Now, Krishna is born, he's growing, going through the ages, not as it happens in Golok Vrindavan. So here in the in, in the in this point of the of the Venu Gita, Krishna is, is going there's a juncture juncture, you say? Juncture. Transition period between Uganda and Kishore. No? So Krishna's like boyhood and teenage years, if you will. No? So early adolescence is like blossoming in the life of Krishna from from the previous age. No? And of course as we know, each one of these ages had a main corresponding uh, association, if you will, no? environment. Mm-hmm. And Krishna is Kumar, a child, but Salirasa prevails. When he's Poganda, a boy, Sakyarasa prevails. And when he's Kishore, mm-hmm. as our Guru Maharaj nicely always depicts in the beginning, your parents are your your orbit, and you are a baby. You are, you don't have even friends. It's just mom and dad, mostly mom, <laughs> then dad, no? first one, then two. But then friends start to appear, and you forgot about your parents. No? <laughs> you want to spend all day long playing with your friends, and your parents come home, it's dinner is ready. I can't play for eternity here. <laughs> but then when you enter adolescence, you forgot about all your friends. <laughs> you fell in love, and you're just like, mm, and your friends are, what's going on? Come, come. <laughs> you're playing football, and you're like, oh, what's going on? Where is your mind? No? So, so somehow Nara Lila is, is again sharing some of those similar ingredients, so we can bond emotionally with it. Hmm? So here, Krishna is about like uh, interestingly like seven years, hmm? and Shirada is having like six years, no? and the Gopis generally have one year less. But it is said that according to our standards, of course, a boy that has seven years and a girl has six years, I mean, it has nothing to do with romanticism. <laughs> but in the context of how these ages play out in the case of Radha and Krishna, that's a different thing. So they start to show some young teenage sensibilities, even externally they seem too young for that. So already they are eager to meet with each other, being so young. So, what else? So the gopis, here are hearing the sound of the flute, 
the word used here is what? Ashrutya. Ashrutya, which means Shrutya comes from Shruti. Shruti means to hear. And Shruti means hearing. And Ashrutya means hearing completely, says Sanatana Goswami. So the gopis heard the song of the flute coming from the forest completely. So completely, of course, implies completely. <laughs> Deep level of absorption. They capture all the implications of that message. As you have the word Ananda, which actually comes from the word Nanda, which means joy. Nanda means joy. That, that's why you have Nanda, Upananda, Sunanda, and so on. And Ananda means hyper, super, mega joy. Something like this. No? <laughs> so in this way, Nanda and Ananda, you have Shruti and Ashrutya. So how attentively the gopis heard the Venu Gita, basically. How absorbed they were in, in capturing, or being captured, as we like, the sound of the flute. And then, again, they discussed their effect. First, Shravan, then Kirtan. But their Shravan was Ashrutya. They heard completely. And then they engage in complete Kirtan, some Kirtan. You want to engage in some kirtan, which means full kirtan. First, you have to do full hearing, <laughs> ashrutya, no? somehow. So they heard harikata, no? the sound of the flute may be compared to that certain messages, but they heard completely, and then they were able to present that completely. Or interestingly, and that's the grace of Sanskrit, <laughs> the word ashrutya, the word ah. The, the, the letter A before Shrutya can also mean the opposite. <laughs> no, instead of meaning they hear completely, can mean they hear very little. <laughs> because they just hear a little bit of that flute song and they were already passionately discussing that. I mean, it was they were not able to, let's hear the, the total song and only then we will speak about uh, There was no place for that. So they hear a little bit of that, but they were able to be totally, as we mentioned today, you know, Rupa Goswami started chanting and phew, he lost and found there. <laughs> but he chanted completely. In one, one sense it's complete, in one sense it's ultra incomplete, but totally complete. So similarly the gopis here, they were not able to hear the whole thing. That's another version because of the impatience of their love. They just heard the flute and that was... They were captured by that. Hmm? So both meanings are applicable. Both meanings point into the same direction, basically. Hmm? So in these verses, again, Sila Sukadev Goswami is giving a more and more and more specific depiction of who are the ones afflicted in this way. First, he begins saying, Brahastriya. So Brahastriya means the ladies of Braj, which of course is a a generic term and can apply to every lady of Vrindavan, but in that group, Jashoda may be there because Jashoda is also Brahastriya, Jashoda is a gopi. So, of course, as we saw, it doesn't apply to her, but till this level, it seems it affected everyone because, of course, the song of the flute affected everyone. It's not that just the gopis were affected and all the Brajabas is like, oh, yeah, the flute is sounding, but that's for the gopis. No, everyone was totally like mesmerized, but in their according to their particular bhava. In verse six, we will see. It says, "Sarva bhuta manoharam." 
the verse says. Sarvabhuta Manohara means the sound of the flute stole the minds of every living entity in Vrindavan. Sarvabhuta. So it's clear that this, the song of the flute is affecting everyone that is there in the village. Everyone in the forest where Krishna is and everyone in the village who received that sound. Hmm? But, as we will see, in connection to this verse, Brahastriya, the gopis, are referring specifically to Radha because and, and, the, and, and her close Madhurya Mai gopis, because Smaran, no? they it gave rise to Cupid. Again, this is not happening to the Shodan other gopis. And then Sukadev Goswami further qualifies it by saying Kaschit, as we mentioned. Kaschit means some of them. So first he says Brahastriya, the gopis of Vrindavan, but some of them. Again, not Jasoda, and not every, and not even every single gopi in the Madhurya camp. Jiva Goswami says in his commentary, this Kashchit, some of them refers to Sri Radha and her camp. They are the ones who will be invoking this Benugita in this chapter. They are the ones who spoke about Krishna, the all-attractive, again. So in this verse, the name Krishna, as we mentioned, is mentioned twice, and as, as it happens... Uh, along the Bhagavad and along the Bhagavad Gita as well, so many different names of Krishna are invoked in the different verses, and there are always some reason why that name and not other is invoked. So that's important that we always keep in mind. If some verse, the verse saying Keshav, Madhusudan, Madhupati, Achyuta, Krishna. We have been seeing first verse, remember Achyuta, second verse Madhupati, now Krishna. It's not just like, oh, let's. Pick the name you want. He has so many names. Put the, put the one that fits better into the poetry. No, there are so many other reasons why that particular name is invoked. Because every name is speaking about the quality of Krishna that is very much related to that particular verse and moment. So, <clears throat> so it says, Katsuchit, some of them, and Sanatan Goswami further confirms in his commentary, the verse says, so Sri Radha spoke with Swasaki Bhyo, means his, her own Sakis, her own group of intimate friends, her own companions like Lalit and others, Jiva Goswami clarifies. So we see how the description becomes more specific, from the ladies of Braj to Radha speaking with her own Sakis. I mean, it's quite from generic, abstract idea of Gopis of Braj, Madhurya, Mai Gopis, Radha, her group, and very intimate conversation. In, in that context. And again, that was expressed in paroksha. The word paroksha comes here, which is an important word. I will try to be brief. Give me some minutes with your permission. Because paroksha is a, a very important term. Paroksha means basically uh, aksha. Aksha means like the eyes. And paraksha means beyond one's eyes beyond the evident thing that you are seeing, no? like beyond the clear object, like over, overt, overt meaning of something, para-aksha, which goes beyond the, the normal interpretation of things. So paroksha means a language that it's giving some implied meaning, it's something, indirect speech sometimes is, is translated as such. And Krishna in the Bhagavatam, he's saying, one famous verse, he says, paruksham mama chapriyam. He said, I really, I like very much this Parukshabad. He said, Parukshabad is very dear to me. 
when things are not being said in an obvious way. And again, this is, has to do with kavya. This has to do with the language of poetry and the romantic, indirect language that pervades the whole Madhurya Rasa. If you study, I don't know, works like Rupa Goswami's Lalita Mahadava Bidagda there is so much Parul Shabbat there, so much indirect, it's so indirect <laughs> that sometimes it's, it's difficult to follow because it's so indirect that you have to really be totally in love to... To, to enter that and, and really because it it seems that they are speaking about something totally different so you have to really pay attention and and, and follow the narrative the indirect narrative and and, and and which is the particular taste that is given rise to and this especially applies to parakiyava which is a hidden love forbidden love clandestine love so it cannot be presented like, hey, Krishna, I love you. No, Shirada won't go in the midst of the village and embrace Krishna. How are you doing, my beloved? And everything is crooked. So they develop this samskar for indirectness. <laughs> so remember, Bhagavatam, one of the voices of the Bhagavatam is speaking as a lover. So here we have, and Krishna says, I, that's my favorite language. So many meanings, so many implications, so much rasa is in indirect approach. So the gopis again were hearing this Benugitam in the distance, Radha, her group, in intimate association, and started to describe the, their experience of that sound indirectly, even in terms of even though they were in intimacy, surrounded by close but their nature of their love is such that they tend to, to hide that and to express that indirectly even. But their hearts became so much overcome with desires of, for Krishna, love for Krishna, that sometimes the gopis tried to hide something. The very word gopi comes from the verbal root gup, which has to do with gupta. And gupta means to hide. So the gopis are those who try to hide what they feel for Krishna. Because again, it's parakya. It's not something for public consumption. <laughs> so their nature is trying to hide. But sometimes... The, the very nature of that love also makes it to overflow and it becomes impossible to hide because of its own volition it becomes exposed. Hmm? So again, in the beginning they, we'll see, they are starting to say something out of love, they say something indirectly and now we'll see out of love they cannot say anything else and eventually out of love they will start singing the Venugita. <laughs> so these are the different ecstatic waves that in, in which they are swimming or drowning transcendentally. You know? They're happy to hear Krishna's flute. They're suffering because they are not along with the person who is sending that message. Hmm? So again, different ways of ecstasy. Like when Mahaprabhu entering Jagannath Puri, as we spoke in Bulgaria recently. So Mahaprabhu was arriving to Puri and he saw the... How do you say? Well, the tower. chakra, the tower and the chakra on top he ecstatically started to run to embrace Jagannath in ecstasy. That was an, an ecstatic response, just crying and shouting and running like a madman. So that was an, a level of ecstasy that made him act in that way. <laughs> but before he could reach Jagannath, embrace him, another way of ecstasy made him faint and fall to the ground. <laughs> so one ecstasy making him run, another ecstasy making him fall to the ground. One ecstasy makes him sing, another ecstasy making his voice choke up. I cannot say anything. <laughs> so 
so that's how these great personalities are swimming, being carried by these different sattvic bhavas, or transitory waves, as they are described in the ocean of Bhakti Rasa. So again, the silence of the gopis here is due to ecstatic love. No, it's not the silence due to other reasons, basically. We find some other reasons sometimes why people s stop speaking. For example, it is says some people may, I don't know, someone may is expected to speak about something, whatever may be the topic, and some people may, for example, not speak because of lack of information. No? If I tell you, okay, please give a dissertation on, on, on whatever, the Holocaust. So if you don't know that much, you may remain in silence because you don't know what to say, basically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or, or another reason may be you, you don't speak too much because you have like, how do you say in English? Panico escenico, stage fear. Like, oh, I have to face a public, an audience and say something. Or, or I'm not so expert at speaking and so on. Or some other people may not speak because of dislike. I don't like the topic. I don't have a taste for that, so I don't want to speak about that. So that's the third option. Or for option, maybe I don't want to speak, or I won't speak because it's not the proper place to speak. It's not the proper situation. But we see in this case, none of these things are applicable to the rupees, basically. No? Because the first one is, which? Lack of information. I mean... <laughs> The gopis are the ones who love Krishna the most. And to love him, as Guru Mahasul says, to, to know him, to love him is to know him, right? So, they have information. They have transformation and information follows. They know everything about Krishna more than anyone else. So, it's not because of lack of information they are not speaking. No? The second one is stage fear. They are not expert on stage. The gopis are so expert dancing and singing and offering everything to Krishna. So, it's not because of that also. Dislike of the topic? I don't think so. <laughs> no, as we know, the gopis cannot but speak about Krishna. No, we saw that in the in the Brahma Gita, even when when Sri Radha is speaking in in, in Debian Mad, like a, a crazy lady to the bumblebee, and she's criticizing Krishna so much, <laughs> ecstatically. And at one point, the bumblebee, according to Vishwanatha said. But if you criticize him so much, why at the same time you continue speaking about him? I mean, if he's so worthy of condemnation, why just you change the topic, basically? So she said, famous like, Dustya just that katarta. Because it's very difficult to stop, stop speaking about him. He's the object of all the speech in Braj. All of Braj's speech converging him. So whether we are praising him or criticizing him, we cannot but continue speaking about him. Our Harikata is about him, our Gramyakata is about him, <laughs> our gossip is about him, everything revolves around him. So, so again, it's not that the gopis have dislike for Krishna Kata, on the contrary. <laughs> and the last one is someone may not speak because it's not the proper moment, but we see here is the perfect moment. Rad is with her group in intimacy, speaking in a proper. But still, there is silence. So again, why the silence is there? So the last, almost part of the, the first part of the second verse is Mara Vegina Bhikshipamanasa. Their minds are agitated by the waves of cupidity, <laughs> by the rise of a particular flavor of love. They can't speak anymore. 
they, they experience this joy of hearing Krishna, remembering Him, but mixed with the turmoil of not being with Him. I try to imagine how those waves make clash in, in one's heart. Not so much joy, not the highest joy, by hearing about Krishna, by hearing Krishna calling them, speaking to them, calling their names in the flute sound. So much joy, being in love with Krishna, the perfect love, but at the same time, the most devastating form of suffering because we are not with Him. And we cannot just run and meet Him like the Gopas do. They just run after Him, embrace Him in front of all Vrindavan. They take selfies together, no problem. <laughs> but the Gopis cannot do that. So it is say sometimes that in the Gopis come this, this desire, oh, well, let's pray so in our next life we can be born as Gopas. Mm -hmm. So we can join Krishna all day long. Not because they want to change their Saibhava or something, but because of the facility that allows Sakharas in the way of uninterrupted public. Huh? <laughs> it's not that the gopis are willing to sacrifice their parakya bhava in one sense, but it's a way of expressing you know, we would like to be with him at every single moment. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it's to say that that prayer is granted, and in Gorlila all those gopis appear in male forms and they are able to join Krishna's Mahaprabhu all night long, all day long, close proximity, and nobody's telling anything. All in male bodies. They want to be male? Okay, in Gorlila you have all the manjaris being their male and joining Krishna being close by. <laughs> so not, not only, just to finish, not only, let's go to the last word of the second verse. Because in the last word of the second verse is Nuripa, which means O King. So you may wonder why Sukadev Goswami is narrating all this and suddenly saying to Prakrit, O King. No. <laughs> What's the meaning behind that, O King? He's so absorbed into something, and what takes his attention from such an absorption to say, O King? So something interesting must be happening for him to conclude saying, Nuripa, Nuripa means O King. So the point is that not only the gopis, Sri Radha and her group, became ecstatically silent and with their voices choked up and were not able to continue speaking due to the waves of cupidity, but, as you may imagine, Sukadev Goswami also, the main narrator here, became totally engrossed in what he was describing. So he himself, by empathy, started to experience all the similar symptoms that the gopis were going through. So Sukadev Goswami's throat started to be, to choke up also. So it, it is it is say that it's in that moment Sukadev Goswami cannot almost say anything else and he grabs the, the hand of Parikshit Maharaj crying, trying to, to to say to him, O King, now try to imagine the suffering that Sri Radha is going now in separation at this precise moment of Gopi Gita. Now try to imagine your Gurudev is sharing Harikata and he grabs your hand and through that grabbing of the hand is taking you into the lila. With, come with me, enter here. Try to, <laughs> to empathize what's going on here. You know? Trying to convey. You know? Again, what's going on in the lila is vibrating in the heart of the pure devotee and we as audience are trying to, to be drawn into that portal. That's the whole exercise of hearing Harikata from the lips of realized Vaishnavas. You know? They are speaking about something that is ongoing, that is happening at this precise moment, and they are connecting with that reality, ongoing reality. They're having a vision of that, they're having an experience of that, and they're extending that 
window of opportunity for those who want to do asrutya, not to hear completely. Mm-hmm. So nripa can mean that uh, Sukadev Goswami's throat is over <laughs> and he's grabbing the hands of Parikshit and all of us and saying, O oh, King, all of you, come with me. Or another meaning that sometimes is given, which of course is, is equally acceptable and complimentary, is that Parikshit Maharaj himself is crying and horripilating. Horripilating, you say? When his hairs are standing on end and so on. By being empathic with what's going on in the Gopis experience. So appreciating you know, how his disciple, his student is going through those transformations. Sukadev Goswami says like, Oh king, no, basically. No. Like saying, if you feel like this, can you imagine how Radha is feeling at this precise moment? No. Like, like like congratulating his student. No, you are doing fine. That This is the result of hearing Bhagavatam properly. No, you are vicarious on some level experience of what's going on. So again, we are to get similarly on one level or another at some point we are to get a particular feeling for the Bhagavatam. We are to identify with the emotions of the Brajavasis. That's Raga Marga. That's Raga Bhakti. To follow in the footsteps of the mood of the Brajavasis means how, how that will happen. <laughs> you have to hear about them from someone who is living somehow with them, closer to them, and that experience is being extended to us through mainly this Shravan, this Shravan experience. So that's how we eventually will develop spiritual identity. By way of identifying with the necessities present in the Lila and develop a new sense of being according to those necessities and replacing our false sense of necessities and our false sense of identity, basically. So in the Bhagavatam we find the perfect examples of how to do that, the ideal roles to identify with. So basically that's what is described in these two verses. Sukadeva Goswami is describing what sometimes is called the bhava abish or the um, ecstatic absorption bhava abish of the gopis in the village while hearing Krishna's song, flute song from the forest. So at this point, before going to the next verse that, that of course we will see next next class, it is said that in between the verses, you know, our acharya sometimes present questions that do not appear in the book in itself, but in between, reading between the lines. So Sukadeva Goswami has described to Pariksit Maharaj the extreme, extraordinary reaction hmm, to the sound of the flute. And again, as we mentioned, the gopis started to, to to describe the sound of the flute and it says Krishna Chestitam. They start to remember Krishna in a particular way and they could not speak anymore. Hmm. So at this point, Pariksit Maharaj will ask, and which specific form of Krishna did the gopis remember hmm, to end in such a way? In which form they were actually meditating, because there are many Krishnas, as we know, many forms, many moods, and, and the reply to that question, which specific like form of Krishna created this reaction in them, that will take us to verse number five, and that we will see next class. And, and this verse number five is probably the the most well-known verse of the whole Bhagavad Gita, and one of the most well-known, important verses of the whole Srimad Bhagavatam. So be prepared for, for that shloka, a very important one. Mm-hmm. So when Pariksimara say that, no? so which form of Krishna mm-hmm. 
give rise to that meditation, what did Sukadev Goswami say? Well, come to Madhuban on Monday, 6.30, <laughs> and then you will know. So, see you there. Shila Gurudev Ki Jai, Shriman Mahaprabhu Ki Jai, Shri Adinam Sankirtan Ki Jai, Shri Shri Dauji Gopal Ki Jai, Adinam Sankirtan Ki Jai, Grantara Srimad Bhagavatan Ki Jai, Shri Venugit Ki Jai, Gaur Bhaktadinda Ki Jai, Gautaman Ki Jai, Manchakal Patarubya Sagripas, Nduvya Iva Chapati, Anam Pavani Pyo Anantakoti Vaishnavindaki Jai Gaurahari Bhu